finish our Song of Songs uh, sermon series. We've been in this for three weeks. This is the fourth week. Goodbye, Mia. It's been, it's been real. You got mom back. Um, and so today is an is a interesting day because today is also Fifth Sunday. And so we're in the Song of Songs, which if you know anything about the Song of Songs, it is a book heavy on relational, intimate euphemism. Okay, we'll say it that way. And we have all of our kids in the room with us today. And so you may be wondering, how in the world are we going to talk about the Song of Songs with sensitive ears? And I promise you, we're going to do it well. But uh, before we get there, what you need to know and understand is if this is your first week, or this is the first time you're hearing about this, we have three other weeks that you're going to want to go back and listen to. They're all available for you online. You can go to bgcovenant.org, and you'll find sermons there. You can listen to them there. You can subscribe on Apple and Google Play and all the other things I'm supposed to tell you about. And the, last, uh, the first three weeks, we talked about how love, the love that God offers for us, the love that is described in this book, is better than wine. And so God actually compares his love to something better than wine. The second week, we talked about his banner over us being love and what this kind of children's song in church has to do with what uh, reality of love is as adults and as children of God. And then we've talked about how uh, what mutual submission, what surrender and submission have to do in relationship, not only in our relationships, but in our godly relationships. So those are the three weeks that lead up to this week. And this week, we close the series talking about the eye of the beholder. The eye of the beholder. And so we're going to get there, and I'm going to explain what that means. But first, we're going to read an entire chapter of the Song of Songs, chapter 4. It's all up here on the screen, so you can read it with me. I will read it off the screen with you. First, he is speaking. So he's speaking to his bride, and he says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Other translations would say, Behold, you are so beautiful. Behold, how beautiful are you. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin and none of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the tower of David built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, from the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of leopards. You have stolen my heart my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with just one of your glances, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits and henna and nard and nard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon with every kind of incense tree with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. And then she says in reply, Awake, north wind, and come south wind. Blow on my garden, its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. That passage, in addition to being replete with euphemisms, is overwhelming to me in its breathlessness of love. 
in the overwhelming sense that this groom looks at his bride and he can find nothing that isn't worthy of an incredible comparison. He talks about her teeth, sure and like fresh ewes. And I'm going, I have never written a poem about my wife's teeth. Natural beauty, youthful vigor, he loves her hygiene, her vitality, her health. He talks about posture, even her fertility. He is all in. He is gushing. This is an open the floodgates kind of love, isn't it? It's almost too much for us. This is the same when reading this sometimes gives us that same feeling that we get, especially as guys, that feeling you get when you hear of a really over-the-top engagement story. Guys know how this feels. You put your whole life into finding the perfect woman that you're going to ask to marry you. Maybe some of you women, have been, you were the ones that get on one knee, so maybe this is you and your relationship. But I remember the pressure I felt when it came time to get engaged. And then you hear the story of somebody else who's done it just, just slightly, incredibly over the top better. And you go, oh, isn't that nice for them? And you really secretly hate them? That, that the, guy, the guy who rents the blimp that has the message scrolling across the bottom that says, my love, go to our place. And she knows it's for her because their love is so strong. And so she goes to their place. She goes to the coffee shop where she knows he is sending her. And there she finds a custom cup. And on it are coordinates. And she, overwhelmed with love, knows to follow the coordinates. And so she takes the coordinates and they lead her to the private jet runway at the airport where she steps onto her private jet that he has waiting, fueled with the finest of accoutrements, and she gets on, and it takes off, and a couple hours later, it lands. It lands not on an island, but on a private island in the Caribbean. She lands, and there she is, this island that they once knew together. She walks out onto the beach. She knows where to go because their hearts, they are one, and she knows his love. And on the beach, she stands, and she looks out on the horizon, and then up from the water, he rides. On a pink dolphin, the rarest of rare beasts, he rides on the dolphin, and as he reaches to the shore, he's not even wet, he just hops off, and the dolphin comes up next to him on the beach as a partner in this crime, and he says, my love, and he drops to one knee, and she says, I can't believe it, to which he holds out his hand, and there is no ring in his hand, and he winks at the dolphin, and the dolphin blows out of its blowhole, and the ring lands on his hand. He slips it onto her finger, and she says, yes, of course, yes. And 14 minutes later, it has 3,000 shares on Facebook, and you, you secretly hate them. That's the kind of thing that this chapter in Song of Songs feels like to me. You go, come on, really? That kind of love? I don't know. I, I mean... I proposed on top of a beige observation deck built in the 60s on a day when my wife told me multiple times she really didn't feel good and thinks she needs to go home. <laughs> no, no, honey, this is, uh, this is important. You're going to want to come with me. I don't, I don't really know. I think I really think you should. Oh, I don't know. And then I get on one knee and I open up the box. And I really, I spent, was it two, two weeks, two months, two years salary? What are you supposed to, I two-minute salary on qvc.com. <laughs> and she took that plastic ring that was two fake carrots and went, this is really big. Do you understand how this is not okay? And, and that's how it worked. No pink dolphins. That was it. 
So when I hear the stories of the, the kind of overwhelming, over the top, I go, that can't really be real. Uh, there's something not right about that. That's how I feel about this chapter sometimes. I read this and I go, that kind of love? Is that real? But here's the deal. That is a sneak peek. This chapter is just a snippet of the conversation between God and humanity. What we've been saying this whole month is that the Song of Songs is not just a conversation between a man and a woman who are deeply in love. It is a conversation between a creator and his creation, between a God and his people. Jesus and his bride, who's us. We are the bride of Christ, the Bible says. We are the bride. Collectively, the church but individually, that applies. And so you and I look at something like that, and we hear that this applies to us, and we go, yeah, yeah, maybe collectively God might look at us and go, okay, they're beautiful, like they, ha- they got it all, but not individually, maybe collectively. We have trouble believing that anyone would look us in the eye and speak like that to us. Anyone with access to our past or our history or our regrets and our shame, the soul-level junk we bring with us, it's just trudging around behind us. We say, yeah, maybe somebody feels like someone else, but no one feels like, like that about me. Because if you knew what I'd done, if you knew what I was doing, if you knew my addictions, if you knew my habits, if you knew my pain, if you knew you wouldn't talk to me like that, you wouldn't love me. So let me draw you back to the first word of this chapter. The first word is henech. It's this Hebrew word. It means behold. The translation we read on the screen didn't say behold, did it? It said how beautiful. How beautiful. No, the word is behold. And multiple translations say how beautiful, which is this kind of adverb of emphasis, which is not it at all. When, when you read this word over and over, it's behold. This word in the Hebrew language means to call attention to. This is the kind of thing that when you're sitting at a dinner party and there's the murmuring of conversation, someone stands up and clears their throat and no one listens, so they clink on the glass and no one listens, so they just do that, that whistle and everybody goes, oh, I guess we should pay attention. That's what this word means. Hinech means, listen to me. Check this out. Don't miss this. Pay attention. And that's the word that starts this chapter. Not, oh, hey, maybe I have something to tell you, one or two. It's, this is a big deal. This is a word of discovery. It's a word of discovery. Notice he says it twice. He says, behold, how beautiful. Behold, how beautiful. We've said when you see something twice in Hebrew, it's an indication of importance. When we started the series with the song of songs, it's to indicate that this is the song above all songs. When we talk about Jesus as the king of kings, that's to say he's the king above all kings. When you hear behold, behold, that's to say this is the thing to see above all things. And then it goes on to describe you. It goes on to describe you. May I have your attention? I need to tell you something. The scripture goes on to describe you. If you've been crazy in love, you've known someone who's been crazy in love, it's as if someone has uncovered feelings that you didn't know you had or were capable of. Begin to see things in yourself that you never saw before because they're pointing things out you didn't know exist. They start to love your quirks and your bits and your pieces that you were always embarrassed of and ashamed of. And you go, really? And they say, behold. 
And what starts to happen is the source of your love shifts. Love shifts the source of your value. Love shifts the source of your value. So in your singleness, you are often stuck in front of the mirror going, I wonder if this looks good. Do you think this looks good? And you're asking the mirror, and the mirror goes, I don't know, you're wearing this. And you sit there and you wonder, does this look good? And then suddenly there's someone else that you could ask. And if you're like me, you say, honey, does this look good? And she goes, no, nothing you ever try. Just put on what I set out for you. People say, where'd you get that shirt? And to every single shirt in my closet, I say, my mother or my wife has bought it. I don't buy clothes anymore because every time I try to buy something, they go, that's, that's, you need to put that away. And I don't have to wonder anymore. I don't have to go, who am I? Where am I? How does this feel? The source is now outside of me. Men, you know how this goes. She comes to you, and instead of, she's staring in the mirror for a bit already, and she comes to you, and she goes, how does this look? And your response is, it looks fantastic, no matter how it looks. And she goes, you didn't even look. And you say, I know, but if it's on you, it has to be fantastic. And that may not be the true answer, but it is probably the right answer. <laughs> it's different when you have an outside source of evaluation, isn't it? When you have something outside of yourself, because you're stuck questioning, am I this? Am I that? Is this good? Is this bad? I don't really know. Who am I? And then there's this outside validation that comes when someone else comes to you and looks at you and then speaks into you. Love is this discovery of a new voice to help us make sense of the world, and it is intoxicating. And this is what we see in the scripture. Love shifts the source of your value, and the scripture says, behold, Whatever you've thought of yourself before, let me tell you what I see. Some people fall so madly in love that we start to worry about them. The kind of people who write poems about their love's teeth. What we see is they begin to morph into someone we didn't even know. You have a friend and all of a sudden you just, they're just gone. You just lost them. They drop off the face of the plate. Did a sniper get them? What happened? Where, where is my friend? And it turns out your friend has fallen madly in love. And their identity even begins to shift. And they used to like this kind of music, but now they like that kind of music. And they used to do this on Friday, but now they never answer their phone because they're with their love. And then we start to say, "Uh uh-oh. I think think Jeff's gone a little codependent there, hasn't he? I don't know. I think Sheila's got a little bit of a problem. I think she's finding too much of her identity in him. And what we start to find out is you'll, you'll hear people say, I think she's sort of losing herself in him. She's not who she used to be. I think he's kind of lost himself in her. It's not really who he used to be. We say it with a sort of sad incredulity, but that's exactly what happens when we meet Jesus. Is this total transformation happens and people look around and they go, he's kind of lost himself in this Jesus thing. She's lost herself. She's different. And you'll even have people who knew you before you met Jesus and they'll be like, what's changed? Something's different family begins to try to explain it away. He's just got religion. They'll get over it. But your behaviors even change overnight. The things you used to do on Friday, you don't do anymore. The things you used to like, you don't like anymore. And all of a sudden, this transformation has happened. When you discover the love of Jesus, it compels an identity shift. So that the identity shift we experience when we have love between two people, that seems like a drop in the bucket compared to what happens when we meet Jesus. When I was taken by the love of Jesus, when it finally, like the scales fell off and I started to fully understand what that meant, 
I had multiple family members pull me aside at like Thanksgivings and Christmases and go, listen, we're worried about you. You used to be different. You used to be funny and now you just care about the poor. What's wrong with you? Tell us a joke. And what they couldn't understand, what as siblings, they couldn't understand what happened to our brother. He's different. This is not him. Something's wrong with him. His identity went from who we knew to someone totally radically different. Which is exactly what happens when we meet Jesus. The love that we experience shifts the source of our values and those values, they change the, the, the way we behave and it changes the way we see the world and it changes the way we see ourselves. We go from scratching around trying to get a laugh to cobble together some semblance of self-worth to feeling secure in Jesus. And whether they know it or not, people around us start saying things like, Behold. They start calling attention to our behavior. They start whispering behind us to go, Have you seen this? What's wrong with them? What happened? And that's the sign that you've been taken. That's the sign that the love has taken hold. That's the sign that you're beginning to be valued in the way that Christ values you instead of the way that we've tried to cobble it together for ourselves. Jesus creates a shift in our value and a shift in our identity. There is an exchange that takes place. That you and I once were dead and we now are alive. We once were lost and we now are found. If we lose your life, you find it. And he who wants to find his life will lose it. There's an exchange. I give of my old self to take on the new. And I live in a new identity that is confounding for anybody who doesn't know that love. You ever hear the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder? Behold, 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 God says about you. You are beautiful and precious and cherished and worth dying for. And all the things you think you bring to the relationship with Jesus, the mound of crud that you've brought in, that you go, here's all my sins and my junk and my habits and my shame, and I can't even see you through it. Jesus sees right through it. He goes, behold, you are beautiful. You are not defined by that. You're defined by me now. And it's a radical changing thing. And when it gets inside of you, when that sort of love becomes real, It changes everything. We're no longer defined by our subjective set of emotional responses, but an objective judgment from outside. If you have ever felt broken or misshapen or damaged or unworthy or stained or beyond repair or hopeless or helpless, the arrival of Jesus exclaims, proclaims, behold, shouts for a different reality. In the eyes of your creator, You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were designed on purpose with a purpose. You were intentionally created to be you for a reason. You are loved and cherished and worthy of affection and worthy of deep sacrifice. You are worthy of a love like no other. We have a God who looks at us and goes all in, gushing with love for us. Loves us so much we should blush that we are not only worth creating, but worth saving at great cost. Jesus tells his disciples, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He tells them that before he goes to lay his life down for them. He says, I'm calling you friends, and I'm about to do this thing, and there is no greater love than what's about to happen. And they don't even understand it, because it is a love like no other. It's a love like you can't otherwise experience. Jesus calls you friend, Jesus calls you beautiful. 
and worthy and cherished and precious and strong. And Jesus is calling you home. You know, when you find love and it feels like you get to go home inside of yourself when you're with that person, the person who unlocks that thing inside of you, the person who has spoken something into you where you go, oh, that's been me all along. I didn't even know it. When you've been away for a long time and you feel like you're back with them no matter where you are, it's still home. That feeling of safety and security, that's the feeling of home. And God is calling you home to the eternal, ultimate home in his love. Whether you've known this love before or whether behold is a brand new concept to you. The choice is yours today to open your heart and to receive it. To engage with Jesus every day to truly lose yourself to be found in him. When we lose ourselves, we gain a new source of value. We can gain a new identity. We gain a love like no other. Jesus said, if you believe in me, if you turn from the way you were headed, if you were walking this way and you just turn and walk the other way, Jesus says, if you just believe in me and join the way, and he says, I am the way. Not a new set of religious rules, not a new set of hoops to jump through, not a new way to make yourself look good on the outside, not a new way to find approval or affirmation. It's me, Jesus says. I am the way and I am the truth and I will give you life like you've never imagined. I will give you love like you cannot fathom and eternal life is on the other side of you saying yes to me. That's what Jesus invites us into. That's what the Song of Songs invites us into, is to see ourselves as he sees us. To recognize that at the core of each and every one of us is someone that God looks at and says, Behold, you are my child. And I love you so much that I would stop at nothing to know you and have you along on the eternal journey of hope and joy. And our only responsibility is to open ourselves up and go, yes, I'm in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the overwhelming nature of your love is at times too much. God, it is unbelievable and it is unfathomable. It is not something that uh, is easily grasped. As a result, I would admit that it can be hard to accept. That too often, Father, we are still defining ourselves by what the world says. We're defining ourselves by anything other than what you say about us. So, Father, my prayer is that you would root us today, each and every heart in this place, you would root us into the truth about who you see us to be. Father, we are your creation. I pray that as as we reconsider that, we would recognize deeply that you have created us on purpose with a purpose. And the first step on that purpose is to embrace you, to receive your love. Father, whether folks in this room have been following you for decades or not at all, Lord, I pray that you would uh, stir up truth in each and every one of us, that each and every heart in this place would choose today to receive your love with no expectation, no bait and switch, no now do this, just to receive you. 
and watch. Father, I pray that we would each watch as you continue to transform us, as you exchange the old for new. Father, as you turn us into and help us see exactly who you made us to be. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.